it is Marcella and Sydney and we're back with the female offensive we missed you guys so much uh it's been a while a whole ass year yeah has it almost maybe (laughs) I think that's how no that sounds about right I feel like we need to go into the context a little bit maybe of why we stopped doing it in the first place and I think for me, or I think for both of us, really, Sydney, you can back me up here, but it just kind of felt like we, it was more self-serving than anything. Like we really didn't feel like we were contributing anything besides just, you know, really enjoying hearing the sound of our voices every week. And an excuse to talk to each other and I hang know. out and like gab about random topics yeah. that interested us. Yeah. And with everything going on, in the world right now um things we'll specifically get into um we felt it was necessary that we use this platform for good yeah i mean we were really inspired by everyone speaking out and just kind of using their voices on a matter of different issues and well we want to be part of that conversation first off black lives matter is really why we're here yeah um we've been silent for too long and i feel like it's taken a lot of people us included way too long to speak up on something that is just an issue of basic human rights and it goes much deeper than that but at its core it's something that we should all have been fighting for this entire time and it's something we all should have been talking about for decades centuries yeah i mean people have and we just hadn't listened yeah and that's something that we conversation should have been louder not on their part on our part Mm -hmm. on everyone's part totally even just necessarily listening yeah and i think that i mean more recently a lot of people has have started to hold themselves accountable um sydney and i included and we want to use the female offensive to basically let other people speak yeah other people who normally might not have a platform or might not feel comfortable enough to talk about these things not like have an excuse to talk about yeah, it. Also, yeah exactly not even that they need an excuse but right now like they need the platform more than anything well, more, than, more than we do more than we do uh, definitely that am- the amplified voices like we're obviously seeing so much artwork and so many posts uh, so many news articles and books and whatnot mm-hmm. um, pertaining to the black civil rights movement and something that was really inspiring to both of us was amplifying um, black voices mm-hmm. and that's something we just really want to be able to do um, and it's something that we want to continue to do not just right now while the movement is hot but something that we really want to weave into the fabric of our lives like this should be something that we don't think about just you know for a month during black history month or you know during these active protests i think specifically fighting against police brutality and just lack of basic human rights, irresponsible government, you know, like institutionalized racism. It's, it's a lifelong fight. And I think that there are going to be several wins along the way, but we're just, we're, we're just going to keep trying. Yeah. We don't want to quit on it. Yeah. 
And I, I think something that's so striking to me is how bland so many of the conversations that we had up until I would say probably coronavirus hit Mm. but even after coronavirus just how you know what what did we care about what did what were we prioritizing Mm -hmm. what were we filling our space and our mind with Um, I think it's really important to pour out importance Mm-hmm. I know I just use the same word twice in the sentence, no, but, go, go but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's important <laughs> Emphasize to, that. <laughs> it's important to talk about things that matter to you, that you're passionate about that, um, help others and, and fight for a cause. I think we need yeah. to become more entrenched in that side of ourselves and less worried about what everyone else around us is doing and really start thinking about causes that matter to us and bringing mm-hmm. that to the attention of everyone around us. Mm-hmm. Um, just having those conversations, no matter what your opinions are on a matter, I think the only way we're really going to grow and learn is if we all start to listen and we all start to understand um, a little bit more. Right. Talk you're, less and listen more. You're right. It's more like, it's like, and teamwork makes the dream work too. You know, not to use something so cliche, but if a small percentage of people are fighting towards something, you know, they might not reach it as quickly or as effectively than a lot more people doing that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like when someone who used to be the oppressor is on your side. It shows growth. Yeah. um, And yeah, not that the movement needed white validation, but I think because racism was something that was, not only created, but upheld and woven into the, again, fabric of so many of our systems and our government. Um, the fact that that was created by white people, it's something that it white people to also need to like, fix. Yeah. yeah. And fix. Yes. 100%. Yes. That's white people not only need to acknowledge it, but fix it. Oh my gosh. Has anyone seen the video of Ashton Kutcher? I know yeah. I sent it to you, yeah. Marcella, but yeah. this taller oh my goodness if you haven't seen it just go watch it he cries and like it just really hit my heart I I cried this morning when I saw it he's such a sweetheart he told a great story about his kids and Mm -hmm. they read him and Mila Kunis read a book to their kids every night before bed and the daughter always goes first and then the son goes second Mm -hmm. and the other night the son like kind of pushed up against that and said like why does she always get to go first and and he said because in our house the girls go first girls always go first and he goes no sometimes boys go first and he goes no when it comes to us girls always go first do you know why because for some people girls don't come at all they don't have an opportunity they don't have a chance they don't matter Mm -hmm. so for us, girls go first. Mm-hmm. And it was in reference to the Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And he was just saying yeah, because I... for so long and for so many people, even now, um, black lives um, don't matter, which is just such a weird thing for me to just even say. It yeah, feels... yeah. 
but no people who can but even there say are people, all lives matter but there are people that just don't care about a huge population of our <laughs> of our community they, of our they, rate of our I don't, I don't think it's so much they species. don't care about them it's more so they don't think that they're marginalized and they don't think that they're being unfairly targeted yeah like, and they you know, don't like, feel oh, the need to help right exactly. they don't like no but there are but people that hate it's, them it's a blindness yeah and I will we'll definitely talk about this like there's that blatant racism and then there's more of those microaggressions that you know what's worse yeah. and they're they're both awful but like wouldn't you rather know that someone is like downright a racist than find them out pretending, three months into like, right a them pretending to be your friend and that them actually really harboring some negative maybe unconscious feelings towards you yeah so something different that um, we've decided to do, this, to do with the show, as we were saying, we want to amplify voices. So um, we've decided to start bringing in um, guest speakers onto our show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people are just our friends. And um, we really want to encourage all of you guys to start these conversations with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have reached out to people that I haven't talked to since college uh, that are going to be on the podcast. And I'm just really... I'm loving the opportunity to connect and kind of the space that we're in where people want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm going to say it like as a white person, like a lot of times I don't feel comfortable having these conversations with Mm -hmm. my black friends because I don't want to make them talk about their race as if it's something like it's something they need to explain. Exactly. But I I crave the education on it. Definitely. And I I mean if you know Sydney and I, you know that we're like constantly craving information yeah. and knowledge. So like and just bettering ourselves just, and bettering yeah. others. The, I think a lot of people are in us. the same boat. Yeah. I think a lot of people just really want to learn and do better. Yeah. And that looks different um for each of our guests, I think. Um Definitely. And like each of their stories are really their own and that's not to extrapolate and say that everyone else thinks exactly like them or that they believe in the same things their stories are unique um and their viewpoints are and that's kind of the best part about these conversations is we're just learning so much and and really I'm getting to know my friends better which Mm -hmm. is like it's like a whole different side of them that I never felt comfortable diving into Mm -hmm. because or that you never felt like you needed to even talk about it yeah you're like oh no we're not racists we don't need to talk about you know yeah but even like but they go through that and like yeah you never know if that's something they do want to talk like yeah. your friends that are experiencing a, a horrible injustice. Like, mm-hmm. is that something they want to think about and talk about when they're relaxing with you or, but I think it is important to have these conversations. And I think um, people are beginning to realize that. And that's, that's beautiful to me. Yeah. And I, I think it, that's it's our goal. better for our human society um, to begin to talk again. Cause we've become very isolated. Mm-hmm. And even though we have this global connection with, with um, technology now, it's not the same as sitting down and really getting to know someone. It's very superficial and um, mm-hmm. curated and created. And yeah. I think this, the genuine conversation is missing from our lives. You know, I know when I'm sending a text message back and forth, like I will text Marcel and ask her for her opinion. And like, is that really you when you're like posting this and like, getting half of the caption from your best friend or mm. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I think yeah. just the genuine um, interactions interactions yeah. are, is something that we've been missing. 
And I think that on that same note, like social media definitely at one point was something that divided us. Like in the beginning, it brought everyone together and it's kind of this pendulum where at one point it was very divisive and, you know, like there were a lot of conflicting images on social media. Now I think it's getting to the point again where it's bringing us together. Yeah. And I think coronavirus does have a little bit of something to do with that too. People are just being a little bit more aware of what they consume, what they purchase. I also think people are being a lot more aware and ready to call out when they notice someone being ingenuine Mm -hmm. or fake. And I think that's a huge change in social media is that we don't want to see the glitz and the glam necessarily. We really Mm want to see like the, the, the dirtiness of life. Yeah, um, we want to see you fuck up. Yeah, like That's that it. vulnerability is just I think a lot of people are beginning to appreciate that more and it's it's beautiful and very delicate and yeah, a great time. And we have hope and um I mean that's very rich of us to say as white people, but um I think that you know, if the outcry on social media and all of the just incredible information that's being put out right now um if any of that is an indication of what's to come and how our actions have already created so much movement and so much i wouldn't say reform but just awareness yeah awareness and also actions have been taken by the police due to these protests these petitions finally yeah finally um so email guys email it's a start there's so many links and they'll just send you to these automatic emails yeah um we're going to put up some resources, but it's definitely. Um, well, you know, with all that said, with that almost 15 minute <laughs> intro, thank you guys for sticking through it. We would like to introduce our first guest. Okay, I'm Kayla Slade, our dear friend. Um, went to Emerson College. It's how I met the lovely Marcella. <laughs> um, double majored in political communications and management and leadership and minored. Oh my God, I said double majored. I majored in political <laughs> communications and double minored in management and leadership and women and sexuality studies. Um, went straight that. through. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, both of those things kind of pointless. You've got an educated chick on this podcast. She knows a thing. Well educated. Well educated. Something like that. And then went straight through to law school. So I'm in my, well, I'm going to be starting my last year at Brooklyn Law. And um, I guess my interest in, like, I don't know, like, racial dynamics. I don't really know what interest, like how to name this interest, um, just stems from who I am, I guess, being half black, um, being a woman, being queer, growing up in a really white town and just like the dynamics that play through that. Um, but then also, I guess, having the privilege of, um, growing up where I did and, you know, my financial position, well, my parents' financial position, um, and being able to really, like, educate myself on different things. So I guess that's what brings me here. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, going along with that, I guess it's really important that I recognize the privilege that I have, um, you know, being mixed race and being of a lighter complexion um, and kind of like calling that out as something to be recognized and, you know, knowing that this movement really should center on like fully black people um, and especially people of like darker complexions. So just kind of putting that out there to frame the conversation. But yeah, I guess that's my little intro. Okay. Um, so first off, love the intro. Um, you did a great job of like framing yourself in this situation. I think like something that Sydney and I have been thinking a lot about is All right, maybe maybe you go into the history first and then we'll ask you some questions because I have a feeling that your outline is going to answer some of our questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I kind of want to go into the history, I mean, obviously we all know like the history of racism, like, but I feel like the reason it's really important now to kind of highlight certain aspects of it is it speaks to why there's such a movement going on right now. And like later on, I'm sure we'll get to, it definitely speaks to the protest methods that are being used. Um, so I kind of just wanted to talk about the ways in which systemic institutionalized racism has played a role in developing the society we live in like right now. Um, so I have a few resources I'm going to send you guys and they're just like charts that kind of break down, you know, they say that slavery ended, what, like 400 years ago, but they don't account for kind of everything that follows. So there's this really great chart um, and it shows like the breakdown of how long slavery lasted, which was 246 years. Mm -hmm. So it officially ended in 1865. And then you get just about 90 years of segregation, which was still legal segregation. And that ended in 1954. And then you get from 54 to really, I mean, realistically about the late, at least late 80s, but I would really say further, even into the 2000s, mm -hmm. where, you know, you have the new Jim Crow era, um, you have a lot of redlining happening, which, I mean, I can kind of like talk about that. I don't know. I'm sure people listening just know what redlining is, but, you know, creating these districts so that mm -hmm. Black people were in certain areas and white people were in certain areas, so not inherently racist, right, on its face. Um, you know, there's at the time where black people were finally trying to grow economically, um, you know, banks weren't giving mortgages to black families. Um, they were creating ghettos, they were creating housing projects, um, all on top of in the 80s come in, 80s and 90s, and you have the war on drugs, and that is specifically targeted to black and Hispanic communities. Mm -hmm. um, so not only do you have people placing drugs into those neighborhoods, but then heavy policing comes into those neighborhoods. Um, and so I have another really good chart that I'm going to send you guys. And it kind of is like an example of the ways that structural racism create implicit bias. So, mm -hmm. you know, just going back to housing. So the structural racism would be creating redline districts. So we have this one district that's majority black and we're going to underfund that district. We're going to make sure that, you know, the school's falling apart, there's no resources, and then we're going to create housing projects. And so then the black people who live there, even if they have the money to buy a house, let's say outside that district or buy a house in that district, a really nice house, 
we're going to make sure that the banks can legally not give them a loan. So then all of this tumbles into now where, you know, we like to say that, you know, slavery happened so long ago. How come people are still talking about it? It's like, well, those ghettos still exist because for years and years and years, no one was able to leave them because there were no opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that ends up creating an implicit bias of black people are ghetto or, you know, who lives in majority of project, um, the projects, black people. So it's really important to kind of frame that before getting into today because it has such a systemic racism has such a pervasive nature that it really creates these long lasting barriers. I mean, even getting into voting, you know, there's whole classes, there's courses dedicated to the, you know, voting became legalized. Black people could vote in 1964, I think. Don't quote me yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they set up, you know, they would put voting polls outside of the neighborhood, right? And then they can only take certain buses and they would make sure the buses don't go to that area. So it's just really important to kind of think about that. And then in the same vein, so pretend it's like a little parallel line, then you think about the development of policing in America, which kind of goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people don't really know actually how policing became a thing in the States. So it started in colonial America. Actually, it was a profit organization, a for-profit organization, where basically towns kind of just employed people. They weren't police, mm-hmm. they were just watchers. Um, and so they, they actually, focused, yeah, literally just like, yeah. And I mean, of course it was colonial times. So there was like, what, 20 people in the town or whatever, like, <laughs> but it was really to look out for each other, for people engaging in gambling or prostitution to so, actually protect and serve. Yes. Right. So it goes from that, you know, concept of, I mean, I won't say necessarily like, I mean, looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a completely for-profit organization. It had nothing really to do with safety. I mean, I guess back then they thought gambling was unsafe, but, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then in the North, they kind of took and ran with that for-profit idea. And so police actually were more like security guards. And so what they did was to protect shipment of goods, because obviously back then, like, like pirates were like a real thing and they would steal things off boats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So police really only existed to protect shipment of goods um, from different colonies. And then the South took it in a different direction. And so this is where a more uniform police organization starts to begin with slave patrols. And I think a lot of people really don't understand that that's where the first concept of a police union came from. So you have a union that starts on slave patrolling and their tactics were, of course, hunting down black people. And it's just really important to highlight that. Well, of course, you know, the goals of the police have changed. There's still an underlying concept of, you know, you, you're starting something that's already, you're starting something off in a certain light, no matter how much you build on it the foundation is still the bones of that organization are rooted in slavery. Yeah. So I think that's, I know a lot of people get very, very shell shocked when they see people saying, and we will probably get into this later, but you know, like abolitionists who don't believe in like policing at all, or people saying defund the NYPD, defund the LAPD. And um, I think they don't. It happened. Right. 
Yes, yes, it did happen. And honestly, don't be shy. Cut some more. Cut some more pending. <laughs> um, but, which, you know, we can get into all the people saying that the protests weren't working. <laughs> Real quiet We're right seeing now. something different. Right. Like, yeah. the news can say one thing, but we're seeing action actually being taken, which exactly. is important. Speaking of the news, um, if you guys don't have Twitters, like, you need to look on Twitter for your news because... Yeah. I don't watch news, period. Yeah, but if I were to rely on, like, Facebook or the news, I would not see, like, 10% of the truth. No, we would have no idea what's going on. And I mean, like, I will say, like, obviously you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Everyone has an agenda, like, of course. And Twitter a lot of time is, you know, personal perspective, right? But I feel like we've gotten into such a habit of kind of discrediting personal perspective. And to me, that is news. Like mm-hmm. it might not have all the facts and it might not have all the stats, but, you know, seeing a video of something regardless of, you know, what, what led up to it or whatever, it's yeah. still a hard concrete proof of things that are happening. And I mean, yeah. that could go for anything, you know what I mean? Um, so and there are so people, many cases where the news are only is only showing like a portion of clips, right. and then right. you're going, but no one questions the news. Exactly, like, the news doesn't show the whole clip, or else we, you know, it'd be on for hours trying to show everything, and no one questions that. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I think the same Literally. can be said for like, um, like the, the video cameras that officers wear. Like, you know, people are literally watching these videos, seeing what happened, and they still don't believe that it's wrong. Right. They still don't believe that it happened. It's like, you right. literally see something with your very own eyes, and you still, you literally see someone being, pardon my language, murdered in front of your own eyes, and you have the decency to ask, well, but what did he do to deserve that? Like, really? It's right there in your own eyes. Like, there's no... And that's, like, such a good thing to bring up because, and I guess this, you know, this is just me and my, like, ban the police, like, outlook. Mm -hmm. But it really scares me that people have to question, well, what did he do Mm -hmm. leading up to his death? Like, to me, personally, I believe that everyone can be rehabilitated. I believe that everyone can be reformed. And that's, you know, maybe a pipe dream or whatever but for people there's so many people who think because someone did something illegal it it's okay that it results in their death and I think that's like a cultural outlook that really needs to be examined like I can't wait to see what think pieces come out of this because it's it's really scary to think that because someone's a drug addict sure that's a problem they need help that their death is somehow more justifiable than, you know, if someone wasn't a drug addict or if someone was only speeding. Yeah, we treat drug addiction or really any kind of addiction as a criminal problem when in reality it's a mental problem, it's a heart problem. And that's this, I think it's so interesting you brought up um, people are so quick to think that others can't rehabilitate and heal themselves when the reason that we think that is because our prison systems offer little to no actual rehabilitation mm-hmm. for any anyone in the system. And they're oh, really yeah. just a for-profit system, which, you know, 
I don't think a lot of people realize that it's not run by the state anymore. It's not, they're not like state prisons most of the time. These are for-profit organizations. And I wrote my senior thesis yes. on this. Yes, go on. I heard about it. I yeah. didn't know before that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you don't think about prisons. They're right. on the outskirts. Right. And I think the problem is, and this is kind of like tying into like where I want to go next with like, structural racism and obviously incarceration is like one of the biggest forms and the problem is people just think because we have jails we have to keep having jails right or like because we have a police force we have to keep having a police force but it's like if these things were so effective then why and like I will say we have seen a an decrease in um, the prison population but it's not at the level where if policing was so effective, then why do we still have the highest rates of incarceration? Like something is not clicking. Like people are continuing to go back to jail. So whatever the jail system is doing for these people is not doing what it says it's supposed to do because right. what's the point of sending people to prison for them to go right back? Like the point is supposed to be rehabilitation, but obviously something is failing. Like something is not going on in the system that needs to be happening. And like you said, it's because it's all for profit. So many prisons and even state prisons make money. They're still allowed to have like people doing labor there. And mm -hmm. if it's not free labor, it's 30 cents an hour. What does that do? Absolutely nothing. That's indentured slavery, like slavery, right. like really, like yeah. servitude. What is it called? Indentured servitude, I think. Yeah. I think that's so. A, that's a term. Yeah. And so that kind of like goes into my next point of racism and capitalism. Um, I think a lot of, and this is like honestly a newer concept to me, like this is something I've kind of been learning over the past year, but racism is literally tied to capitalism, right? Like it's the form of, mon capitalism is a form of monetary gain and human labor. And it leads to this huge power struggle. And that's literally like slavery was mm -hmm, brought, mm -hmm. you know, slaves were brought into the states yeah. to perform human labor for not their monetary gain, for another person's monetary gain. So when you think about this in the context of now prison, the same exact thing where people are being brought into the system, performing human labor for other people's profit. And so it makes sense why racism continues mm. to be instilled and especially I like to think personally like I'm someone who's a very big advocate of like black and brown people being more involved in corporate America like that's like one of my goals once I become a lawyer I really want to be in corporate America and it's because that is like you know I would say like America's like once you're in corporate America that's like you know you've made it you're making money you're a CEO you're Mm -hmm. an executive of some sort you you have power in a system that is trying so hard to keep you out out of the out of their system and you see like jobs in black neighborhoods are you know at a family dollar or a gas station and there's a reason for that there's a reason why black people are not being afforded higher paying jobs and that leads into education which is a whole nother conversation mm -hmm. but it all goes back to capitalism and so there's this really good um website that I'm going to send you guys. It's called raceandcapitalism.com and they have an entire podcast called The New Dawn that mm. just talks 
literally so many episodes about just the ways capitalism basically is like ruining us all, even if you're not black, just yeah. the way race and capitalism are so tied together. Um, Consumption in general. Right. And how capitalism is just holding us all down pretty much. Um, but I would definitely recommend checking that out for like a bigger, because this is a huge comp, like concept that I don't think there's time to like go fully into, but they really break it down. Yeah. I don't think that people realize how few people actually benefit from capitalism. Like, yes, it's such a small majority that's benefiting from it. What would you say? Like maybe like power. 1%? I'd say I would say honestly, so the top 5% is anyone who makes over 250,000, I think. And I would say if you're making over that, you're doing well. Like, and that's not even that rich anymore, which is like shocking um, to say. No, especially if you have kids. Right, right. Uh, hello, college education is like 50,000. Like, it's only going so up. Your salary, you know, um, I would say anyone who's making that much is benefiting more. But then again, I guess it would depend on what their job is, right? Like, yeah. you have people making that much, but if you're working 60 hours a week, like, sure, you're making a lot, but it's only because you're putting a lot of time yeah. in. Right. Um, but yeah, I think people really, you're right, they don't realize how much capitalism, like, hurts all of us, and especially middle class people. Like, I, I don't know, I would consider my family upper middle class, middle class, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us have been tricked into thinking, like, capitalism is going to work so well for us. And it's like, as middle class people, and I mean, I'm not saying like oh poor middle class people by any means but mm-hmm. you're really always riding the line of either falling below or like going above and you're more likely to fall below than to mm. become especially if you have kids and especially if you're like you know getting older and can't work 60 hours a week you're much more likely to fall below middle class and to go into upper class mm-hmm. and I think like once especially middle class people start realizing that there's going to be a shift and the working class because middle class people tend to take themselves out of the working class when really, if anything, they're a step above that. And yeah. once Blue I think color. working class people and middle class people can kind of like get on the same page, capitalism mm-hmm. is going to be in trouble because <laughs> the more we can point out how pervasive it is in every aspect of literally everything we do, the easier it's going to be for people to want to dismantle it. That's true. That's really true. There's going to be a lot of interesting philosophy out of this time, I think, which we haven't really seen a lot of. I feel like, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think that we're riding on philosophy that was conceptualized so long. thousands of years ago. Or even just like hundreds of years ago, like the yeah. founding fathers era. It's just, yeah. Like, that's a whole different, like, species of people at that point like they do not think walk act like us like something needs to be changed to have a whole episode about how we should like cancel the constitution like as someone who's like literally studied it it's the biggest i mean we could like lightly or like loosely base our laws off of it but it's the biggest waste of like space for people to keep going back to i mean they were writing things when it's like there weren't cars 
like there wasn't a month people were black people were still slaves like yeah. it, it's just so like really the constitution should have been rewritten i mean frequently but after the abolition when a whole sector of uh of hum you know of humanity was reconsidered to be now humanity and then instead they just you know did the amendments and it's like I don't know. I, this is, that's a whole nother. We could like go on and on about, I have such strong feelings about the constitution being such a waste of time for like everyone, but it just points again to America's like issue with like holding on to tradition, like using these systems, using these things that are not working for modern society. And just like, because it's been used, refusing to change it. And it is a scary thought though. Like, what does it look, what does that new set of laws look like who you know and it's just it's Why scary to think of because it's already so hard to get equal representation for so like all the various different types of people like how do you reconcile all of those variants into a single document it just doesn't like it's great it's it's a very well, how are, why are we so like why are we subject to follow the constitution when our own president does I'm just saying, like, if he can be unconstitutional. Yeah, I mean, why, why, I don't know, why are police officers allowed to shoot everyone, and we're not, like, why are people so okay with accepting that, that's what I don't understand, like, you have to challenge everything. We love this song. Literally, <laughs> like, I don't know. That's so interesting because I, I read um, a quote or what, I don't know, a post. Um, and it said, no, I don't remember what it said. Okay, never mind. It'll come back to me and then I'll, I'll, I'll interject it at an appropriate time. But it's hard to quote anything. Yeah, it, I feel like, um, I feel like I see a lot of like, the same kind of messages, just like kind of rewritten. So yeah. it's the sentiment. I feel like the what has been like, okay, I'm gonna ask you the question about people who are silent. Cause I feel like, I mean, I've, I've seen I'm a lot of different, different like, opinions. yeah, I've seen a lot of different opinions. None of them are really wrong. It's just kind of different. Like, do you think that someone who's not being active or vocal right now on social media is necessarily racist or not an ally? So my knee-jerk reaction is to say yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think we live in a world, okay, for our generation, like I'll say older people, they're just not necessarily as active on social media, so I'm not going to hold it against them. But I think, I'll say there's certain people who are not active on social media and I don't expect them to now be active. Right. Like, there's just certain people, like, I don't know, guys, really. Like, guys are not that active on social media. That's true. So it's like, if you don't post all the time, I'm not necessarily expecting you to post now, but I won't be mad if you do, kind of. Like, yeah. yeah. However, for people who are, ve like, I'm always on social media all the time. Literally, that's like, I'm just always scrolling. Mm -hmm. If I were to be silent, I would, people would look at me like, girl, 
now mm-hmm. you're not saying anything. So like influencers. Yeah, they need to be saying something. Like all influencers need to be saying something. If you're making your money off of social media, if you're someone who has a heavy social media presence, mm-hmm. you definitely need to be saying something. If you believe in it. Yeah. I'm the type of person, don't just post the black screen and then not do anything because what did that do? Nothing. That was performative. There there was nothing behind that. Slacktivism. Slacktivism. We used to talk about this at Emerson all the time. Slacktivists everywhere. Like, and you don't have to be involved really if you don't want to be. No one can make you be involved. No one can make you care about things. Right. It's shocking that you don't care. Like it's scary that you don't care. But yeah, I think silence is very telling. I think if you can keep posting selfies during, and I'm, I want to say that me personally, I don't mind people posting like regular content sometimes because it is nice to have a break in a TL that's like otherwise really heavy right now but if you're someone who's only posting selfies right now and not making comments that's fine but just know like people are recognizing that like Mm -hmm. right now silence means a lot for people who are not normally silent on things it's a Um, hypersensitive time right And like, just being aware of what you're posting on social media in general. I mean, I don't think people need to necessarily, like, like I said, never post a happy thing again, Mm -hmm. but just being very aware of how you're posting it. Like it does sit weirdly with me when people, you know, have this long story or they post one thing about, you know, George Floyd or whatever's going on. And then it's like five more pictures of like them at the beach or like them getting drinks. Like, I have to say it sits weird with me because it feels like the first post was just so people would be like, okay, they're on our side. Not racist. Yeah, literally like enough activism done for today. (laughs) But I mean, I think people should act how they, how they want to act because I'd rather have no allies than like fake or performative allies. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like it definitely is like a case-by-case basis. Some people you just know, you're like, all right, they're, they don't care about this topic. Like they're, they've shown their kind of true colors, but other people it's like, you, you just, you just know you're right. Case-by-case. How do you feel about people who like with the protests going on, people not comfortable going, especially like COVID? Like, Mm I mean, I respect, especially right now with COVID, I really do respect people not wanting to go out there. Um, I mean, I haven't actually physically attended a protest yet. I've been in Connecticut. Um, You know, I have a daytime internship that's like nine to five. And then I have a night class twice a week. So I fully understand people can't physically be at rallies right now. I also know that police have been responding like we've really never seen before to even peaceful protests. So I also understand that aspect. I think I would like for people to be at them if they would feel comfortable being there and especially white people um, because I think they push the movement forward in a way that black people cannot because of society not because black people don't want to or don't try to um i think if you're not going then 
if you have the financial means, like if you're still working nine to five and you can't be at these protests, if you actually care, you need to be donating um, mm-hmm. bail funds. Um, you could be doing to like funeral costs, um, different organizations in general. It's Pride Month, donating to Black-led organizations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I know we talked like the other day about, you know, even donating outside of a Black Lives Matter movement, you can donate to, um, you know, uh, mentorship programs in the Bronx, right? Like, or donating to- Or volunteer a mentorship program. When COVID is over, like when we can finally get back to being outside, um, working at a local library, somewhere where, you know, they're understaffed or undersourced, whatever it may be. there's ways to put your money and your time, buying from black businesses, especially. Um, there's ways to put your money or your time in if you can't put your physical self in, especially right now. Um, but I think if you're more worried about police interaction, I would still urge you to try to go. I mean, I'm going on Saturday. Um, and of course, like I'm an aspiring attorney. I, I can't really get arrested. So I have to be very aware of that. And I plan to, you know, be in the back, um, mm-hmm. kind of let other people who, who can be more involved and should be more involved um, lead the movement. And I, and I think it'll be fine. I mean, obviously I can't speak to everyone's situations, but mm-hmm. I would really suggest going if you can. Um, yeah. Cause I think it just adds a different perspective. It's a whole different feeling to be out on the streets. Right. Um, and it really just lights a fire in you when you can really be involved but don't put yourself in harm's way and definitely stay safe. That's mm-hmm. like the number one thing. Yeah, I really liked how you said earlier this week to to talk with your money. Yeah. And like kind of put your money where your mouth is. Cause you money know- talks, period. It does. Especially and in the US, right? Honey. It makes the world go round and yeah, we're gonna shell out some money. <laughs> we better. Hell yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else you wanted to? What's something that's been really inspiring to you coming mm-hmm. out of this movement? I, I love that. I just um, I you feel happen. like just the wave of activism that's been happening. Like, I think we we're in a time now where it's like a lot of so the biggest like other wave I can think of was 2014. Um, with I think 2014 was Ferguson or 20. 2013, 2014, 20, I think. 2014, 2014. Um, and that was really, I remember that was my freshman year in yeah. Boston. And I remember prote- protesting, um, but I was so still crazy. so young. I was only 18, I think. We were screaming Black Lives Matter, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> and I think we were, this, that was the first time I'd ever really been like civically engaged like that. Um, and I still, I mean, I'm still learning, but I was learning so much. How, oh shit. Sorry, could you repeat that? You broke just out. out. Yeah. yeah, I started to mess with my AirPods, which was my fault. <laughs> um, I, what, what did you hear last? Uh, it was the last time, it was the first time you were really civically oh, yeah. engaged. Um, yeah, so I think just seeing like the wave now as, an adult, I guess, kind of more like I'm able to vote. I'm able to really be involved, make my own decisions. Um, and seeing like the amount of youth led or like 
movements that have happened. Um, there was a huge one that happened, I think, in Houston over the weekend. Oh. And that was all led by four, four people under 18. Like, um, wow. And it's just really crazy to see. And then also seeing so many people like finally getting it, which is kind of inspiring, but also really annoying. Cause it's like, how are you not getting it Yeah. before? But it is, it's really nice to see people find like people saying defund the police who never, ever would have said that before. Yeah. Um, People saying abolish the police who never would have said that before. Yeah. And it's really exciting to know that people are seeing that we can actually change things. Like it literally is possible to change things. Um, yeah. Like stuff's getting done. Like all four of the officers were arrested. Like, I don't know if there are any convictions yet. I haven't. No. no. I mean, yeah. They're out on a one million dollar bond. Bail. Bail. Yeah, their bail is like seventy five. I thought it was seven hundred and fifty thousand to one million. Oh, why? So, because that because the the one officer was has a higher bail than the other officers with the second degree. Why do they have bails at all? Well, yes, but okay. <laughs> I don't understand that concept in the sense that like, what about having access to that money makes you less of a threat? Yeah, well, it has nothing to do with being less of a threat. It has everything to do with wanting to keep certain people incarcerated, which this whole thing is actually, it's an interesting point that you brought up because as someone who advocates for abolishing prisons, ending the carceral state, I'm in this weird place of being happy that they were arrested while also not agreeing with arresting people like I don't believe in the jail system and I don't believe it should continue so it's this really weird I just like real example of like being a human and like just having all these different conflicting feelings because part of me is like so happy that justice is being served and the other part of me is thinking like great that's just more people to put into a system that doesn't do anything well I think like one of the really only crimes that is worth incarceration is like terrorism and you could argue that the police are terrorists in some some form they are hurting and killing their own citizens right it's domestic terrorism yeah i would love to label let me not (laughs) that was a hot take (laughs) yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stop myself there um but (laughs) yeah i it's a very confusing position to be in right now, Mm -hmm. but I can't help but cheer at the fact that protesting is what got us an arrest, period. Yeah. Protesting was got us three more arrests and what got us the charges brought up because I know, I mean, I guess I can't say I know for a fact, but I believe very strongly that none of that would have happened if it were not for all of the different types of protests that are going on right now. Yeah, it might not have happened or it might not have happened quickly enough. Yeah. Right. No, you're right. Like, did you have a question? I did have a question. Go, go, go. Um, so do you, would you like to see the prison system completely abolished or reformed to look more like the prison prison systems in Europe? 
as in just more of a rehabilitation centers for offenders that lead to less less dangerous second offenders? Um, that's a loaded question. I would like to see it abolished completely. Um, so what do you think about the ankle track tracking? Like, I, I know we all, I believe, watched 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, oh, you oh, haven't? So oh my gosh. In that documentary, they bring up, um, so the people that have capitalized on prison systems and made it um, private, this company, I can't remember the name, it's like CNC or um, yeah, something like that. But they are now testing out the idea of instead of having prison systems, having prisoners detained in their own home with ankle bracelets. And so one of the concerns that was brought up with that system is that one, people are still profiting off of your incarceration. And two, um, this leads to if black people or people of color are continually targeted as criminals, then those communities are going to have all of this surveillance mm-hmm. directed onto them. Right. And is that what, does that actually help the situation? Yeah. So for me personally, I'm very anti-carceral state, mm-hmm. period. Um, I'm very anti-policing, not anti-police. I know people, that's been like a buzzword of Republicans or Blue Lives Matter people throwing around. I'm anti-policing. For me, there is no reforming the system. I think short-term there is, right? Um, The eight can wait campaign that's going around. I think that's a great first step. But to me, there's the people who have to set the long-term goals. So there have to be the extreme quote unquote, extreme abolitionists who are saying, you know, we need to stop prison now. Like we need to shut down all prisons and we need them because they're the ones that keep the long-term goal in focus. And then there's the people with the short-term goals. Like the eight can wait to me is a short-term, short, oh my gosh, short-term goal that will work for now, but is leading up to a bigger picture, which in my future would be complete abolishment of prison. Now, that's not to say I want people running around. I don't want murderers. I don't want, you yeah, know, racing stance for around, to take. like, uh, <laughs> causing <laughs> havoc. Right, right, right. But I think it all starts, and this literally all ties back to capitalism. It all starts with what, where we're putting our money and why certain things are happening. So, most people in prison are not there for murder. They're not there for, you know, sexual assault. They're there for robbing. They're there for burglary or whatever. Like usually they're people crimes. Um, They're for selling drugs or possession of drugs for prostitution. And those are all things that start at the root of a certain community. Someone doesn't have money because they don't have economic opportunities they don't have education opportunities they're living in the projects and of course this isn't everyone there are some people who are just petty thieves but they um oh my god i lost my train of thought but oh yeah so they're in they're committing these crimes because of a reason because they're 
not being basically the government's failing them. Yeah. So I would like to see money going into those communities. So there is no next step to going to jail. There is no reason for someone to steal. Um, and it doesn't ignore that there will be people who still just break the law because they want to. Um, but I think people like murderers, people like rapists, pedophiles, they need real rehabilitation that jail does not offer. So for me, there is no fixing jails or making them more appealing to look at. It's really about getting to the root of the problem and defunding these systems now so that in the future, police won't be necessary. I mean, I don't think it's a future we'll see. I don't think it's even a future our grandchildren will see, but I think it's a future that's possible if people are really, are, if people are willing to take the chance and like change the system that we're in now. Yeah, yeah and I think that there's probably some hesitation there for people who are like, well, this isn't gonna, this isn't something I'm gonna see in my lifetime. Like, why do I care about it? There are, there are people who don't care about posterity. They don't care about their whatever, but yeah, we, we do need long-term term goals. And like those petty crimes that you had mentioned, maybe not petty, but like the burglary, the prostitution, the, the drug crimes. possession, the people crimes, those aren't problems. They're not a problem. They're symptoms of a larger problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely jail the rapists and the murderers. <laughs> right, we definitely need to do something with them. Yeah. Don't want them just running out on the streets, um, but putting them in jail with, like, okay, so you put another murderer with an, in jail with another murderer, don't give them any therapy or any, what is that going to do except make them both better murderers or better yeah. drug dealers or whatever? And their per, their chance of being recommitted or going back to jail are so high. I was just about to say that. Um, what yeah. is that term called? It's like something reincarceration. What did you say? <laughs> reincarceration. No. Um, I'm not sure, but um sorry it's called recidivism oh. recidivism yeah. so um yeah actually and especially the younger you are um I just wrote like a whole thesis on youth incarceration and like all the data shows that younger you are in age if you have a run-in with the law that especially results in incarceration um you are so much more likely to go back so much more likely to commit a similar offense if not the same offense Mm -hmm. um, it just really it gives so many people no hope because once they leave jail, there's so many barriers to getting secure housing. Um, landlords are allowed to deny you if you've ha committed certain crimes, even if they're nonviolent non crimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a federal offense if you don't check off that you've been um, arrested on a job application and they're legally allowed to deny you on the basis of that. So there's so many barriers to creating a and they aren't allowed to vote. Right. Felons aren't allowed to felons. vote in almost felons. every state. Um, Florida is one of the few states that just changed that, which is very Not random. Surprising. So random. <laughs> very random. The one um, thing they're ahead of the curve on. Yeah. There's a lot don't of- Don't kill you. You can vote. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know. So random of Florida. But yeah, so there's all these barriers that 
just make it difficult for them to create sustainable lives that they just, of course, fall right back into running, running around, doing stuff they shouldn't do, but. Yeah, no, but if if it's all that they've, like, not known their whole lives, but been subjected to their whole lives, and, like, you, you can't just get better sitting in a cell by yourself, like. Yeah. And no one really addresses that problem. And that's where just so many mis and I used definitely used to have these misconceptions, but that's where so many misconceptions come in, Mm -hmm. especially targeted like that idea of the implicit bias. So many targeted towards like black and brown people. um, That is really a misconception that no one takes the time to actually explain. Mm -hmm. And if we have these things like, systemic racism in schools, I really think there would be such a shift in the way people understood racism in America and there'd be such a shift in the reaction to racism in America. Yeah, I think it's really just about educating people because I I think that the, the beliefs that people have have just been like compounded over time and they haven't gotten like the the truth about why things are this way people are just so quick to accept that things are this way because they're not really being affected by it i love the attention that the innocent the innocence project is getting right now because i think it really goes to show just Mm. how faulty and when i say faulty i mean incorrect inaccurate wrong our justice system can be on in so many different cases right um justice yeah i mean it's mind blowing how many cases yeah, they found where it's just like no evidence. They're locked up for life. Yeah. Death it's penalty. And it's such a, again, like a misconception that it's so rare. It's re- I mean, it obviously does not happen. You're it's more majority, like, but it's not rare. like correctly. I mean, mm-hmm. but it really is not as rare as they make it seem that people have been arrested falsely, falsely accused with no evidence. Like it's quite common, um, especially depending on what jurisdiction you're arrested in, mm-hmm. who the judges are, they have full discretion. I don't think people realize the discretion that judges have um, to look at certain evidence and make decisions about it. Mm-hmm. So I agree, I think the Justice Project at, there's a lot of organizations similar to, and they do really, really important work. I mean, I going back to the judge thing, I just read something. I do believe it was on Twitter, so <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. But I read something about a judge who sent this kid to jail, 20-year-old black male, because he was late to jury yeah. duty. What? And it's just like the fact that they have the power to do that, right. and you're right, the the discretion to do that. Yeah, that's crazy, insane. It really Jury is. duty, like he's serving his civic duty, and they're How like, important? Right. Um, like, not to change the subject, but kind of to change the subject. Um, how important do you think youth, and specifically the black youth, are at this moment in history? Um, black youth is everything. That's <laughs> obviously. But I really, I do believe that investing in black and brown youth is like crucial um, to the movement, crucial to future society. Um, 
especially education of black and brown youth. Um, I'm going to go on little New York tangent right now, but yeah, if anyone's in New York, um, de Blasio plans to do a budget cut where he's taking um, 600 and 625 million. I don't have the number. I've been looking at a lot of data today, so I might have messed the number up. Um, million from the Department of Education, which goes straight to public schools oh. and public schools are predominantly black and brown people and like students are predominantly black and brown teachers are predominantly black and brown and he is only taking i think 23 million from the nypd after he ran a full campaign on defunding the nypd on um creating carceral reform and has turned around and taken so much money from literally like the education of children. Um, so if you're in New York, send emails and make calls. But wow. that's just an Dang. example of the ways that we really, and the youth rely on us. Um, I literally just sat in an on, on a meeting a few nights ago that was, um, it was Dignity in Schools performance of, it was a satirical performance of the proposed budget cuts and at the end of it, you know, they really highlighted that they cannot vote, they cannot make these decisions, but it's things that are directly affecting them. And there's so many more things. Um, summer youth employment was cut this year and not because of COVID, it was cut because of the budget. And that's, I think $150 million that goes straight to students who cannot get jobs anywhere else. They're under the age of 18. And it gives them, it's a great, when it's done correctly, it's a great way to give them upwards mobility. Um, it gives them connections. It gives them ways to network with especially other black and brown people who have careers and fields that they're interested in. And it was cut. Um, and it's just another example of, you know, children of color getting, excuse my French, but the shit end of the stick um, on top of living in, areas that are not being invested in. There's there's um, economic unrest in the places that they live and their one chance at achieving a better um, economic standpoint going to into adulthood is being cut through not just summer program, but also giving them less educational opportunities, which everyone knows education is really a gateway to employment. Yeah. Um, so for me, especially if it's not donating money-wise, mentoring, that's like my biggest thing. Um, I'm involved in mentoring high school students right now. And it's just really important if you're living in an area where, you know, I'm gonna actually change what I'm saying. If you're living in an area where children are not underfunded, it's even more important that you're stepping outside of that community, recognizing your impact on surrounding communities that are underfunded especially in places like Boston, New York, LA, where everything is being gentrified, you need to be doing your part and investing in the youth because at the end of the day, that's investing in not only their future, but if you want to look at it from a selfish point, it's investing in your future, in your children's future. Um, and it's really creating a better world, not to sound corny, but oh, yeah. it takes making those decisions now to see an actual change. 
and it'll change people's perspective. I think kids have such an interesting outlook on things and we can forget kind of some of the whimsy and the fire that goes along with youth. And yeah. they really ignite that. So the ability true. to ignite that in us. Yeah, and we all say this all the time, but we have so much hope in this upcoming generation. Like, I think that they, they're seeing what's going on. And I think that children are so, they're so innocent sometimes where they really just look at like, is this good or is this bad? And a lot of them can see that these things are just outright bad, you know, outside of all the cultural bi cultural bias that you get as you grow up, like kids just understand, you know, racism is bad. Like maybe I shouldn't use the N word, you know, maybe I shouldn't, I don't know. I, I just have faith that they're growing up very, very educated right now too, like yeah. about the world. Maybe not like in terms of schooling, but about the world, they're very smart. Definitely. And I'm, I feel as adults, it really becomes your job to seek out the education. Like even myself as a Black person did not know so many of these things existed. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that we can talk all day about the faults in our education system as a whole. Um, but I think if you are going to even if you don't consider yourself an ally, but just a good person, it's really your job to educate yourself on all of the things that have happened, um, not just to black people, every minority group, women, queer people, different racial, ethnic groups. It's really crucial that as, you're, as you get older, you understand the ways in which your privilege is working in the world and why it's working that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, you're never too old to learn something new. Yes. I, no. I, teach I, I, old I, dogs new tricks. Right. Facts. <laughs> Put it on a shirt. That would sell. <laughs> I think that should be the name of this episode. Yeah. Teach old dogs new tricks. Wow, I am on a roll. <laughs> it was both of you. No, it was also <laughs> That's so kind. I'm so, and like, that's, I'm annoyed with myself right now. I mean, yeah, you should be. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like Sydney and I were saying, like it's kind of ridiculous. And I mean, I'm ashamed that that's taken like me this long to really do something, like actually do something. Be active. Be active and like actually speak out about it because I don't know, there's like really no excuse. I have right. nothing to say for myself except for I am just like. But I mean, same. Like, there's so many things that I've had to learn and I'm still learning. Like, definitely not. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever know everything about any of these things. But I mean, I think it just really comes with accountability and like looking at yourself. Uh -huh. Because, I mean, I think a big part is people telling you you need to educate yourself, but you have yeah. to come to a point where you're ready and willing and wanting to learn about different things. Um, and when that happens, just it's hard to start because it's like, okay, where do I start with racism or where do I start with homophobia? Like, these are just multi-layered topics, but just there's, um, I have a resource and it's a Google doc that has a bunch of just anti-racist 
readings and things to watch. Um, mm -hmm. So for anyone who I cannot wants wait to dive into that, yes, I don't know. Book, watch a movie. I don't know. It, there is no right time to start. We were saying earlier this week, like there's no right time to have this conversation. There's no, yeah. like everything feels awkward and that it's going to feel that way probably forever for a long time, but yeah. it's still necessary. No, it, it, it totally is. It's a, it's a very ne necessary conversation and it is hard, like you said. And um, there's, it's, it's not really a black or a white in terms of you being an ally or a white supremacist. You know, there's lots of in-betweens. Right. As long as you're really trying to work towards that, you know, like keep it's going to take gas. time. Right. People are saying, keep your foot on the gas. And like, right. that's something that you can, that you can apply to a lot of areas in life. But I mean, just I think people should know like myself included when I say white people like yeah I am like Brazilian but like I'm white like I'm super white no one would know by looking at me so that's me but, <laughs> you know like everybody starts somewhere and as long as you know we're all kind of allied towards that goal like, I think that's just something important to keep in mind that you know it's not all or nothing definitely definitely not all, all or nothing I mean, there's so many things I can learn about the oppression of other races that I'm just dipping my toes into now. Like, there's education on all sides for everyone, for all different causes. Um, and it's just, it's important to accept the criticism that you receive. Just really, while, while learning all of these new things, know that people are telling you things to help you out like not to also to help themselves out but no one is calling you out they're calling you out because they care and because they want to see you do better mm -hmm. and keeping that in mind um mm -hmm. yeah keeping just being willing to make mistakes because you will make mistakes i've made mistakes mm -hmm. um and no, letting, no, no, no. That, letting those mistakes fuel you to keep your foot on the gas like Sid said yeah no like you're right a lot of people are afraid to say anything because they're afraid they'll say the wrong thing and that's not the best mindset right now because then you have people being silent just because you know they're like you know what I'll never be like right I'll never be like that perfect white yeah. ally like yeah so you're that's even more damaging than not saying the saying the wrong thing at least if you say the wrong thing you know now or the wrong nothing's wrong but it's like if you're not saying maybe the correct thing you'll know okay moving forward this is a better response whereas staying silent hurts yourself if you want to be an ally and it hurts everyone around you yeah and and you're I think you're right about that there's no there's really no right thing to say you know black people are not a monolith just because right. one person feels this way doesn't mean the other person feels the exact same way and you might get called out for saying two different things and you know what you're wrong both times. <laughs> Black people will listen to me talk right now and be like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. We're not all, there's, I mean, there's a whole movement of abolitionists and there's a Libra scale for that. Like, mm -hmm. there is not, there's not going to be one way to approach everything. There's not going to be one spokesperson for every movement. Yeah. Um, 
And as long as you're trying for me, I'm, I don't want to say I'm happy because I think everyone should be trying, but as long as you're trying, I will respect that and work with you to push uh, every movement that I can push forward.